there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL free agency is right around the corner. Become a Saints Happy Hour patron to get full access to every Saints Happy Hour podcast Every day. When the Saints make a big signing or trade, Saints Happy Hour will be the first with breaking news podcasts analyzing it all. Patrons also get access to the podcast ad free. No ads ever. You also get a booze bundle with four swag items. Amazing. Access to our private Discord channel where you can talk Saints with us 24-7. So join the best Saints community in the world. And if you become an annual patron before March 17th, you get two months free. So join the best Saints community in the world. So do it. Go to Saints Happy Hour today. This is Sean Payton, head coach of the New Orleans Saints. What's with this Saints happy cast? This has to be the worst Saints podcast in the world. Ralph can't say anyone's name right. Andrew doesn't know football. Everyone has a hard time listening to Dave. And is Kevin even there tonight? The audio with this podcast, my God, the audio, it's its painful. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of Saints Happy Hour Podcast. This one is a bucket list item for me. I am not going to lie, Andrew. I am so excited about this interview. I haven't been, I think this is the most excited I've ever been about an interview. And listen, guys, you know, we had Mina Kynes, we had Bomani Jones, we've had Zach Streif, we have all kinds of people on this podcast. But Andrew, we got Randy Mueller, ex-Dolphins GM, Chargers executive, but he was the Saints general manager from 2000 to 2002, and me and you, 2000 Saints is like one of our favorite things ever. We love to talk about it, and he loves to talk about it too. Randy, thanks for giving us time today. Hey, my pleasure. It's great to be with you guys. Just hearing the intro, and uh, you guys <laughs> talk about the Saints makes me smile, so I'm happy to be here. Um, Randy, I, you know, you were Saints GM from 2000 to 2002. It's a long time ago now, but I do think your philosophy about being aggressive in free agency is still very much like it's a part of the Saints, like their sort of philosophy and ethos. In 2000, you guys signed, I was doing the research on this and I've forgotten, you signed 11 free agents in, according to an ESPN article that I found, in 14 days, and you attempted to trade into the first round to get Darren Howard, even though you didn't have a first round pick, he ended up falling to you. So that is like aggression on steroids. And the Saints, with Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton, they still sort of do it. So do you view Mickey's Mickey Loomis's and the Saints GM philosophy? Is it sort of still very much what you kind of brought in 2000? Well, it's what I believe in, that's for sure. And it's no secret that Mickey and I were together for 20 years. So a lot of our beliefs, a lot of our philosophies uh, were kind of uh, melded together during our long, long run together. We were together in Seattle for 17 and another almost three in New Orleans. So, you know, I don't know. I've always just felt like you need to be in on every deal. You can always say no at the end of the deal. And I remember hearing that from Paul Allen and his group back before I even went to New Orleans. Paul used to say, get us in the middle of every deal. We'll, we can always say no at the end of it. 
So I took that to heart. And obviously that first uh, few months on the job in New Orleans, we had a complete rebuild to make and things happened good for us. The good thing was that the, the franchise was positioned with good salary cap space. So we could do that. And, and part of those 11 guys that you mentioned, some of them were Seattle guys that I brought with me. Others were guys that our new staff was familiar with. So there was a sense of, of consensus from all of us when we made those decisions. And I'd like to think that's still the case in New Orleans. You're right. They've always been aggressive. They've always been on the edge of the cap. They've always been on the edge of adding players. But I think you got to do that. I, I never want to uh, suppress expectations. And I think expectations are good. And the Saints always have expectations every year of being in the hunt. I think that's a good thing. Well, I think all of us have played uh, GM on Madden, you know, and try to sign as many players as we possibly can and kind of be armchair GM. So uh, I, I think all of our listeners have done that at some point. Uh, but, you know, not, not only takes signing a lot of guys, it takes hitting on those players. And you know, what I remember about that 2000 offseason was you look at guys like Jeff Blake, uh, you look at guys like Norman Hand, Joe Horn. Um, you, you hit on a lot of these guys where not only did you sign a lot of guys, but they were extremely productive. And that's what was maybe so effective in helping you change the culture and change the success of the team so quickly. Uh, how, how did you have so much success that offseason with all those guys? Well, I think we were able to identify some ascending players and then take advantage of our experiences elsewhere when we got there. You mentioned uh, uh, Jeff Blake as in particular. You know, he had been in Cincinnati. He had been with the Jets beforehand. His agent was a good friend of mine, Ralph Sendrich. And we're, we're kind of approaching free agency now in the NFL this year. And I hear all the tampering and this and that. Well, I can tell you guys now, 20 years later, we had Jeff Blake signed two days before free agency even opened. So that's one of those deals where we kind of fudged a little bit and, and came up with a, a pretty good plan. And we knew what he, uh, what his skill set was, and we knew what Mike McCarthy and our offense was going to run. So it was a good fit. A guy like Joe Horn was the fifth receiver in Kansas City. When we played them in Seattle, we played him twice a year for several years. I would always notice when Joe got in the game, our DBs would guess what? They would back up just a step or two before each snap. Well, obviously they were worried about this guy running by him. And then we had, hey, we had uh, kind of crafted a way to get Ron Zook out of their coaching staff and Ron had been in Kansas City with him. So we had some background on these players and we were able to use it. In Norman Hand's case, what you mentioned there was that the franchise tag was on him. The Chargers had put the franchise tag on him. They couldn't work out a deal with him. So kind of in a huff, they took it off him. Jack Mills was his, or, uh, was his agent and we signed him like two days later. So it happened quickly. You just got to be ready to react. And you never know when the price is going to fall in your lap where it's just too good to be true. Ralph, you might have to uh, clip that part about the admission there because uh, Roger Goodell may retroactively take a pick for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm still nervous. I, and I'm not even with the team right now that I'm going to get a call from the league office saying, hey, you guys are over the cap or we got to throw this contract out. I, I think it's just ingrained in me where I don't sleep good at night worried about a call from the league. <laughs> I think Ralph, you're muted there, buddy. I'm gonna. I said I'm gonna have to play the elevator music yeah, during during that during that part. <laughs> um, so, Randy, you know, the interesting thing is is as you talk about these deals, I'm fascinated with GMs, right? You you do mock drafts, you run through every scenario that you could possibly has have as a general manager when you start free agency. 
what is the sort of not talking about like gen, uh, specific one maybe, but just in general where a scenario happens where you're like, oh my God, this is chaos. What is the what is the one scenario sort of over and over again that's the hardest to plan for and deal with as a GM once free agency starts? Well, I don't know if I can put my finger on exactly one. I do know this, and you mentioned the word chaos, and I hear that a lot nowadays with what's going to happen with the cap being reduced and all that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. It might be chaos for the media. It might be chaos in some cases for the agents. It's really not chaos for the teams. At least the, the ones that I've been in, around, we've had a plan. We knew exactly what we wanted to do. And we didn't need to converse with anybody or gather intel per se to make to execute our plan. So that's the biggest thing. I always like to have as much information as I can on the valuations and the depth of the of the talent pool. So in this case, when when free agency comes, I already know where the depth of the draft is. I already know what I think we can come up with on draft day. And I also know what we can't. So I, what I want to do is I want to maximize my options on draft day. And by doing that, if I know ahead of time where, where I'm thinking I can hit on some guys, I'm going to use free agency to supplement that. I'm going to give myself options in the draft because let's face it, your, your franchises are built through the draft. And I believe that fully, but you can supplement in free agency. We didn't sign a bunch of big name players or big money players with the teams that I was at necessarily, but we filled uh, needs so that we had options come draft day where we didn't have to pick a guy to fill a need. So I think that's the philosophy that a lot of teams I don't see using it nowadays. That's always the one that has done me the best is you've got to have all the information before you can even get into free agency and know what's available. So I use them hand in hand. I think that's a plan. We'll see how it works out for this year for a lot of teams because the cap is definitely going to be more of an issue than it's ever been. 
Well, speaking of the cap, uh, Randy, Ralph and I, we spend all our free time on Twitter. It's, it's a problem. Uh, <laughs> I do. Saints Twitter is a place where, you know, a lot of discussion is about salary cap hell and uh, what, what Mickey Loomis is up against. And a lot of national media and a lot of national fans, NFL fans, have opinions about how much trouble the Saints are in. And we as Saints fans know that's not necessarily the case. Uh, but, you know, Mickey Loomis came, you brought him over from Seattle and, you know, he really was known at first as a salary cap guy and kind of a financial guy uh, and a numbers guy. And obviously he's evolved from that. But uh, curious what your take is on the Saints situation as it stands now financially and Mickey Loomis's ability to kind of navigate that stuff. Well, I think he's he's the best for doing that. That's for sure. And you mentioned it. He was our salary cap, our finance guy in Seattle. And when he came with me to New Orleans as my right-hand man, that's really where his area of expertise lies. I think yeah, it's funny when you say, when, when you, when you say Mickey and the aggressiveness that they've had, I thought for years and I always used to come to his office and say, don't tell me, no, just tell me it's done. You know, because he always <laughs> would give me reasons why we couldn't sign somebody because of the cap. We couldn't do this because of the cap. And now he's in my chair where all of a sudden he's got to go to his cap guys and say, hey, we're going to get this done. Just don't give me any excuses. Just get the guy signed. So uh, what goes around comes around is what they say. You, right? you have so shattered our worldview of Mickey Loomis, Randy, just now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is what it is. And, and uh, we're close, always have been. And and uh, just some of the some of the things that make us all evolve into what we are today, that's for sure. I do think. They are nickel and dime and trying to peck their way out of salary cap jail, per se. Um, they've got big plans, I'm sure. But again, the chaos that exists to the outside isn't necessarily the case on the inside. They've known this cap was going to go down since last summer. So that's not like they're scrambling to, to think of ideas how to save money on the cap. They've had 10 months to figure this out. So they've got a plan. They'll have it figured out. It'll be interesting to see what kind of team they have left at the end of all this when the dust settles, because they're going to have to put a productive team on the field again next year. And, and that may come with a step back uh, from a talent-wise standpoint in, in one year anyway. So we'll see. I, I think I'm anxious to see. There's about a third of the league that is over the cap right now and really will be you know, innocent bystanders in free agency, that's for sure. I'm not sure that's a bad thing, but but they'll all figure it out. These guys have smart people. They have cap departments now that are manned by two and three guys in some places. So they'll, they have thought this through thoroughly. And, and I don't think it's uh, quite as big of a, a case of chaos as gets portrayed sometimes on the outside. You know, Randy, one thing that I found really interesting about your career is your evaluations of quarterbacks, when you go back and look at it, it's pretty damn good in that you were with Seattle, you drafted Rick Meyer, then you traded him for a first to the Bears. You go to the Saints, you sign Jeff Flake, like you mentioned. You trade Walter for Trump, Aaron. Right? What? Yeah. You trade for Aaron what? Brooks. Rick Meyer for Walter Jones. That worked out pretty good. That was tremendous. Where you know you knew how to exit on a guy, but you 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 signed Jeff Blake, you you traded for uh, Aaron Brooks, and then when you're in Miami, you chose Ted Ginn over Brady Quinn. You caught all sorts of hell for it, but looking back, it was right. So my question to you is: when you look at quarterbacks, what's the key thing that helps you decide? whether that guy can be successful or not, because your track record is pretty good. 
Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we had some some uh, success finding quarterbacks from scrap heaps as well. And, you know, we signed John Kitna uh, to to replace uh, Rick Meyer in, in Seattle, and he became their all-time leading passer. And, and the other guys that were with us in New Orleans, we had Jeff Blake, we had Aaron Brooks, but we also had Jake Thalone, who was mm-hmm. there. And then we drafted Mark Bolger. People forget, those That's were our right. quarterbacks four quarterbacks one year in training camp in Thibodeau all became starters in the NFL so that was a pretty good group and and you mentioned the infamous Ted Ginn pick yeah I think the biggest thing for me is having played the position I've kind of been in their shoes a little bit although it be at a lower level I try to see the game as as they would when I evaluate them the biggest thing for me is we can figure out the physical skills we can watch that but it's how they process process the information that they get, and then the decision-making, the delineation of what's expected of them to make decisions. Those are the the kind of gray areas that I think get people in trouble. You've got to project the guy as to what he's doing in college into your system. I think that sets a lot of guys back in evaluating quarterbacks too. They get the physical skills part right, but, but they don't really project him to the fit that their offense is and how he's going to have to proceed. I think a great example of that are, is, the, is the quarterback carousel we're in right now. I think people are, are, are you know, surprised when uh, uh, Goff, Jared Goff gets traded, first pick in the draft gets traded out of, out of the Rams. Well, there were some of us in San Diego that didn't even have Jared Goff in the first round. So that's not a surprise to the whole league. It's maybe a surprise to some. Carson Wentz is a guy that, and, and another one that just got traded, a ton of dead money left behind, historic uh, salary cap ramifications. But I'm not sure that the last chapter's been written on on Carson Wentz yet either. He may still become a really good quarterback in the NFL. So these things, you know, uh, kind of ebb and flow depending on the fit. And I think that's to answer your question. The biggest thing is the fit, the offense, the type of decisions you're asking this guy to make. Uh, those are the things that that really determine a, a team's success or a quarterback's success. And then obviously the talent around him. You've got to do right by these quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks have no chance. Um, you look at the kid from UCLA that came out a couple of years ago that went to uh, Arizona and and uh, then Tampa and Miami. Uh, who, Josh Rosen. Name. Uh, Josh Rosen. Um, he's now in San Francisco, I think, in a perfect system for him. And I think – we may hear of this guy down the road as well. I wouldn't write him quite off, write him off as quickly as, as some have. So the fits are there. You just got to match them up. And I think if you can do that and forecast a little bit about what you're going to ask him to do offensively, you stand a chance to hit on these quarterbacks. I It, it bristles me when people say it's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. The draft is a crapshoot. It's really not. <laughs> it's a crapshoot for some. I think the people that say it's a crapshoot are the ones that can't figure it out. <laughs> That's like, it's like uh, going to the track, right? It, yeah. The horse, the horse track is a crapshoot. If you're always losing, if you can't ever figure it out, but some people have a, have a track record of figuring out. So, that's my two cents, and and that and two fifty would get you a Starbucks <laughs> on any corner in Seattle. So whatever. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time, updated odds, and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website and use your mobile device to sign up. 
sign in today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you so you can shop confidently, knowing your pair is the real deal. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for more sneakers. Check out ebay.com sneakers today. Uh, Randy, do you have an opinion about the Saints situation with uh, Jameis Winston? They're trying to bring him back and Taysom Hill. Have you evaluated those two quarterbacks? And do you have an opinion about how close they are to being successful starters in the league? Well, I have looked at both of them on tape, as a matter of fact, this year, and, and I actually think they're on the right track. I might be crazy, but I think the two of them together can can serve as a uh, as a weapon and a, a success story. Uh, you ought to go, you match that up with Sean and his play calling and, and scheming and game planning. I think that they stand a chance to really not take a giant step back from where Drew's been the last year or two. There's not a Drew Brees in that group, but where they've been the last couple of years, I don't see any reason why Jameis can't do it. And and you you sprinkled in Taysom Hill as well with with his skill set. I think they make a formidable team if if they can figure out a way to do that. You know, that's a good it's a good point that you make about um, the the quarterbacks and and teams that are successful. And they think that it's a crapshoot. How how important is it? And I know these are sort of corporate words, maybe, but like synergy. I feel like the Saints have their drafting has improved Jeff Ireland came but they finally got stability on defense and knowing that the staff was together for so long does that help in evaluation when everything is stable and you're not changing coaches and changing defenses and doing all that how uh, sort of underrated is that sort of thing where we as maybe we as fans think we like change we like new coordinators and all but stability is one of those underrated things that helps you as an evaluator oh i think stability is giant ralph and, and you hit on it and i think from this standpoint the stability is valuable when it's used in setting the criteria at a position for the kind of player you want and, and so in this case, it's Sean's philosophy, it's Mickey's philosophy, that hasn't changed. And yes, maybe it's the fact that Jeff has been able to identify with a similar philosophy. I always said, you tell me what you want, I'll find it from a coach. Or I, you tell me what we're going to run on offense, and I'll find exactly the skill set that fits with what you're doing. You mentioned the XFL. I did that with June Jones last year in Houston. June and I had never worked together. We had been close together for years, but it, it took us no time at all to settle on exactly what he wanted at, his, at certain positions. And I was able to find that when we put that team together. So I think the stability is, is excellent. It's really good in a year like COVID that we just went through. But in, in your system, the stability of the characteristics of the players and the skill set you're looking for is big. Look at like the Steelers. Their defense has been the same for years, right? The criteria for their outside linebacker position has been the same for years. The same in some of the other positions that they look for. And guess what? They they have changes at, at assistant coaches. Sometimes they have changes in the scouting department, but the system and the, the criteria stays the same. Those are the things that I think get 
you know, not enough attention in, in the real world when, when they say teams don't draft good. Most of the time when teams don't draft good, they're one, either searching to fill a specific need or they don't have a job description for what they're looking for. So they jump all around. Those are the two, in my opinion, fatal flaws of building a team. All right, Randy, we, we got to go back to 2000. I, I know you <laughs> like to go. live in the present, and uh, but, you know, it's one of those things I love to reflect on. And as Ralph said, you know, 2009 for us as Saints fans is probably at the top. Uh, but close second for me would be the 2000 season, finally being able to witness as a lifelong Saints fan a playoff win. And uh, you, you mentioned a lot of these pickups that you had during that time. And I was in the stadium that day when Hakeem dropped the ball and Brian Milne falls on the football. And just the, uh, you know, you knew right then in that moment that, that it was acquired, that first playoff win. Uh, you were executive of the year uh, following that season. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously it was a tremendously successful year for you personally, for the organization as a whole. And it was historic at the time uh, for New Orleans. So, uh, can you reflect a little bit and just take us back to that and, and the feelings surrounding that playoff win and, and just kind of that year as a whole? Yeah, I think it definitely was a special year. I think everybody builds teams on paper, but yet when the season starts, they have to come together and you have to manage your team. And in that year, all of it came together for us. Yes, we made a ton of changes. We, we rolled out a completely different version of the Saints, but I credit Jim. I credit Jim Hazlitt, uh, Mike McCarthy, Ron Zook. Rick Venturi, some of our coaches that they're the ones that brought it together. And then we managed it as we go. We had a ton of injuries that year was, too. We lost guys along the way. I was going to say. It's not like we didn't have to overcome. I was yeah. going to say that we, we 2000 team, I remember Buddy D in the postgame show, the first preseason game, he called it the worst preseason game in the history of the Saints because y'all lost Rob Kelly, Cam Cleland, and Steve Israel, I believe, all in the first two drives of that game as starters yeah. and maybe one other person. Yeah. So the injuries like never stopped in 2000. It was, it was incredible, but you, but you had the depth, you had guys step up and you got the picture of Willie Jackson behind you at last who, who had the, right. the magic playoff yeah. game. How does that, how does that happen? How do you as a GM just keep finding guys that can do it? Maybe not for a whole year, but for a little stretch, Terry Allen was on that team. You got him right. off. The, he was 100 right. years old and ran for 80-something yards in San Francisco. Like, how is a GM, how do you do that? Well, I think you have to. It helped me because in Seattle, uh, I was the pro guy for really 15 years. So I really had a handle on NFL rosters and NFL talent. So that helped us in the free agent market and helped us build some depth uh, by identifying, again, players that I knew would fit with our offensive scheme. I think that cannot be undersold. The fact that we brought guys in that year and it wasn't just me, it's our whole, we had a great staff. We had a really good scouting staff. There were some holdover guys that have gone on to have be successful in the front office as well, but we had a good group of guys. We were able to do that. And those guys just, they, and sometimes you're better off not knowing, right? We didn't know what we didn't know. So we were younger. We were aggressive. Like you said, we added players and these players just bought in. The city accepted them mm -hmm. and they accepted all of us. And it's it's fun to have that type of momentum. Hey, I've been 30 years in the NFL. I don't think I've ever experienced a season like that. It's funny. You talk about the playoff game and and the fact that, you know, Akeem dropped the ball, one of the greatest memories really in Saints history. But I remember about what I remember about that game was I'm a just just quickly i'm an even keel guy i'm not a cheerleader i'm not a lower than you know the bottom of the ocean guy i'm an even keel guy right 
And we jumped ahead of the Rams. And I don't know, I think it was Willie Jackson, you mentioned that actually caught a ball that put us up like, I don't know, 30 something to 10 or something like that. It was a midway mm-hmm. through the third quarter or, or maybe even the start of the fourth quarter. But this touchdown, and again, like I can say, I never cheer. I remember clenching my fists under the desk uh, in my uh, box that I was watching the game at and almost kind of smiling and, and pumping my fist saying, yeah, we got him. <laughs> and it was from that moment on that the game went south for us, right? <laughs> so for years, that's always been my memory of I'll never cheer for another touchdown in, in, in <laughs> my career because that jinxed us. And if you remember, right, the Rams had a crazy comeback and it yeah. took Hakeem dropping the ball for us to ice the game. Yeah. But they came, I mean, uh, Kurt Warner was throwing bombs down smokestacks for the whole fourth quarter and we're holding on to our you-know-what just to try to get through it. But I always felt like it's because I cheered. I celebrated too early, you know. So it's crazy what you think about and what you remember even 20 years later. Well, I remember uh, that I game. Remember I remember that that well the, the, the secondary, everybody yeah. getting hurt in the in the playoff yeah. game. You <laughs> lost Alex Molden. I think you lost another safety. And it was just like, oh, my God, we're out of, corner. we're out of corners and we're playing the greatest offense in the history of the world. This is not good. Well, remember, we had played them the week before in New Orleans again. So we played them back to back days. We played in the last game of the regular season and they beat us in New Orleans. And and they had to have the game to even get in as a wild card team. Right. And so then they come back the next week and it's, whoa, deja vu all over again. So we had a pretty good rivalry with them that season alone in that we played them, you know, three times. And and uh, there were no secrets, that's for sure. And it kind of ebbed and flowed. And fortunately, we held on and, and had a couple more points at the end. Well, Randy, I want to ask you about this Ricky Williams trade, too. Not, not the Ricky Williams trade, uh, but the second one. Um, and so you, you trade him, and at the time, so you have Deuce McAllister on your roster, so you're feeling better about that, and feeling good about running back. And, and so he gets traded for a first and a conditional third. And I just remember holding on to he, – he plays a Week 17 overtime game, and I know you were gone by then, but you had made the, you were the one that orchestrated the trade. Uh, week 17 overtime game against the Patriots and he needs to get over 1800 yards to make that conditional third, a first round pick. And he runs for like 180 yards in that game. Mm-hmm. And he, he converts the third round pick into a first and the Saints end up getting another first round pick for it. As a GM, I'm, I'm just curious. Like I always wondered if you were watching that from afar and just being like, what are the dolphins doing? Why, why didn't they shut him down at 1799 and say, save us the first round pick. Yeah. Well, back in those days, they didn't have analytics, I guess. Right. So they didn't have that, <laughs> that pipeline to the sidelines of with numbers uh, attached to it. So yeah, that ended up being a, a little bit of a, a precursor for for what Ricky's career could have been you know he had some really productive days and and a couple productive seasons in 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 Miami but I always felt like this guy could have done this every year had he had his life straightened out and that was the hard thing about it is I liked Ricky Williams and it's funny before we traded him I went to lunch with him the week before just to kind of feel him out having known in the back of my mind that this this is out there and that we may do this Um, and he begged me not to trade him he didn't want to be traded and, and I just felt like him in New Orleans wasn't going to work. There were just a lot of people don't know, but there were a lot of things going on in his life that made it really hard. And that's really why we drafted Deuce to start with. So that story even gets deeper with, you know, what they call it, the seven degrees of separation. But we, we, we drafted Deuce with the idea of, hey, this is a guy that we can count on for the next 10 years. I just struggled with Ricky being able to count on him. 
And there were some events that caused that. But anyway, yeah, the two first round picks, the, the, the fact that he has to produce the last game of the year to get the Saints the second round pick, it kind of set the Saints up pretty good. That's for sure. And, and I felt good about that in that this, you know, all my guys were still at the Saints when I was gone. So I felt good that, that they could, uh, at least uh, that was a parting gift, right? That they got another first round pick on top of it all. It was. It would have been nice to be able to, to actually pick somebody, but yeah. You know, I have a I have a draft question for you. And that you know, me and me and Andrew joke about when the Saints picked Ramchek, we would do the mock drafts in the draft simulator, and he would, ne- and we were like, he's never going to be there at thirty two, but he's there every once in a while, so we're taking him. Is there a draft story where you were in the room and you're like, we don't need this player? We, we might not have a place to play him right now, but I don't care. He's the highest player on our board. I cannot believe this player is here for us to pick. We're picking him. I don't care. Is there? Did you have any, any moments like that as a GM? Well, we just talked about it. And, and I, I am a big mock draft guy as a decision maker, but only the the, the – the day or two before the draft, we would sit everybody down and go through every mock draft possible. Once our board was set to kind of prepare us for what might happen. And we're, the, the draft I'm talking about is the Deuce McAllister draft. We did mock drafts for two days prior to that draft. And one time, one mock draft that came down leaves Deuce as the highest rated guy and kind of just with a neon sign blinking at us, right? And I remember Jim Haslett leaning over to me and saying, now what do we do? I said, hey, we're going to pick the guy. What are you talking about? But <laughs> having done that mock draft, it allowed us to communicate all of the thinking points, all of the all of the issues that that would bring on. And so that we talked about it ahead of time. Had we not mocked a draft that had him there, that allowed us to prepare all the other elements and all the other triggers that that would set off if we picked him, I don't think we could have done it. So I credit the fact that the mock drafts led us to that. And we were able to get coaches in the loop. We were able to get and Nobody thought that Deuce was going to be there, but the fact that it had mocked out once where he was, it allowed us to talk it all through. And so that's again, more information than I had. And, and, and having done these mock drafts for years, I just felt like it brings on those mock drafts, bring on conversation that you normally wouldn't have. And I want crazy scenarios. I want crazy <laughs> conversation because I want to have talked about everything we can before draft day. Tom Benson used to say on draft day, he'd say, hey, Randy, d- d- does all this noise in the draft room bother you? I'd, and I remember looking at him one time and I, well, I I don't hear any noise, Tom. I don't hear anything <laughs> because we were kind of it, it was we knew exactly what we wanted to do. They could make noise all they want. But those of us on the inside knew our plan, knew how it was going to be executed. And the noise didn't bother us. And so we had that sorted out. The art of drafting is, is like you said, there's a podcast there. There's probably a book there. There might even be a 30 for 30, and, and I'm sure it's already been done. But there's a lot of interesting stories like that behind the draft where, where the information gathered and what spawns off of that information sets a, a, a course of, for a franchise for 10 years based on a mock draft that they did the, the day before. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. 
JJ has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's fascinating. Uh, Randy, I'm curious. And and I asked this as a fan, not really knowing, I mean, you look at the NBA and you're at an advantage if if you're a team that can pay over the luxury tax. And and if you're in major league baseball, there is no salary cap. So certainly if you're the Yankees or the Red Sox, you're at a big advantage in terms of player acquisition. The NFL has more of a kind of an even revenue sharing system and, and a hard cap. And so, I think as fans, we kind of tend to view it as the the playing field is pretty even. Uh, but I'm curious if you feel like New Orleans being a small market, if, if there's still some disadvantages that we're not thinking of in terms of the rest of the league and how you compete with it. Well, I think that is definitely uh, – it separates some teams in, in this way. The cap is a hard cap, but there's no control or no regulations over cash. So cash is usually king – for how aggressive a team will be in the free agent market. Hey, the day after I left the Saints, I remember the governor actually called me 
and, and he said, what's going on? What's going on? They had just approved 168 million in supplement in money from the state to the saints for, for all kinds of things. And, and that was going to be a cash boom for Mr. Benson. So the cash is the small market uh, kryptonite, right? If you don't have cash, if you don't, you don't have fortune 500 companies, you don't have marketing money, you don't have all the outside sources that some of the big market teams have to generate cash. That can sometimes be a, 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 a negative, so to speak, because what you do with cash, as you guys know, is you can spread out cap charges. You can prorate money, you can pay players their money, but spread out the proration part of that money so that they, the cap charges, uh, you know, uh, go up throughout the length of the deal. So I think cash is, is always something that's an issue in the NFL. Some teams struggle with it. I know the Raiders in Oakland their last few years really struggled with cash of any kind. So they were always pressed, uh, hard pressed to sign guys for bigger uh, signing bonuses because they just didn't have the cash. A lot of times you, you spread your cash pay, payment to players out based on your season ticket revenues and your TV revenues when they come in. So you'll see a, a sometimes deferral of cash based on um, just the, the amount of money and the timing of when you get that money into your bank account as well. So it's no different than you or I uh, trying to reconcile our, our bank statement. The NFL just has a few more zeros on it and you spend money when you get money, same as we do when we decide to make a purchase at the mall. You know, final question for me, Renee, and thanks again for giving us uh, so much time. You know, I was thinking about, um, you know, we see Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson either having completely broken relationships with their team in the case of Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson sort of it's difficult, right? And it needs repair. As a GM, What's the main thing for you to do once your sort of dirty laundry with a star player gets out there? What, what's the process of like, how do we go about fixing this or trying to? Well, I think communicating is the biggest thing. I think usually when this stuff happens, communication has been broken. It's really not about placing blame. It's about getting people back on the same page. I think in Houston's case with Deshaun, they're, they're doing the right thing. Actually, they shouldn't trade him. There's no way they should trade him. That will buy. That will get by. And eventually, they hopefully will will have a little kumbaya meeting and set it up. The same really in Seattle. Russell Wilson's not going anywhere. That, let's just face it. They, they have uh, have their own reasons for going public with what they have done. You don't you seldom see the team ever going public with anything. So you've got to give the players their respect. You've got to give them their platform to say what's important to them. But at the end of the day, the clubs in the NFL are different than, than the clubs are in the NBA. Uh, they, the, the player really can't dictate where he plays. If Deshaun Watson wants to play, he's going to have to play for the Texans. And if he wants to sit out a whole year, that's fine. He's going to have to play for him the next year. And if he does that, the guarantees in his contract, the fines, the salary de-escalators, all that's going to kick in. People, we don't ever hear that because the team's not going to disparage the player. But those are all mechanisms built into the CBA to keep to keep players from controlling where they necessarily want to play. I do. I will say this though. I always felt like when I was the GM, I always wanted to have that relationship with the players. I want them to be able to come in at any time, any place. And I really want their opinion. I want to consider what they say, what they know, and use that as part of, of building consensus when we make decisions. I just don't see enough of that in the NFL anymore. I don't see that that mm, that that exchange of ideas, that that respect card. These players know. They, they should be... Uh, 
um, you should listen to those players. They actually know they're out there grinding every day. They know who the good players are. They know uh, they have information that you don't have. So I always welcome that kind of information, not necessarily from everybody, but surely from your best ones. Yeah. Last question for me. Where are you, Randy, uh, philosophically on uh, when when these guys come loose? And I I hear you that, you know, if if we're being honest with ourselves, Russell Wilson's not going anywhere. Uh, But 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 if those guys were available, where are you philosophically on as a team needing a quarterback? Do you give up whatever it takes to get them? I'm talking three first round picks, players, whatever it takes to get a guy like Deshaun Watson or, or, or Russell Wilson in your building. Or do you feel like there's a point where as a GM, like, no, this is too much. And I'm going to rely on my ability to draft and ability to acquire players that aren't going to cost as much to stay competitive. Yeah, I, I, I definitely fall on that side of the fence. It's a great question because it's easy for fans. It's easy for the media to say, oh, give all whatever you can to get this quarterback. Well, do your own study, but I don't believe there's been a quarterback yet that's won a Super Bowl who's taken up, is it more than 15% of the salary cap? So sure. it is about having a quarterback, but it's also about having a team. So in most cases, a general manager is going to bet on himself. He's going to bet that he can put together a better team. I get nervous, and I think it's crazy when teams talk about giving up three first-round picks. What other mechanisms are you going to use to build your team if you give away all these picks all the time? I remember when we traded Rick Meyer to Chicago, you mentioned it. We traded him to Chicago for a first-round pick when I was in Seattle. Part of what Rick Meyer had to do was sign a new contract with with the Chicago Bears. So he had some say in the deal. His agent came to me and said, we're not going to sign this deal unless you give the Bears a fourth round pick with Rick so that they have another pick to build something around him. I'm almost surprised that uh, use use uh, Deshaun Watson. I wouldn't want a team to give three first round picks for me because I'm going to be there on my own and we're going to have no picks to, to build the team around me. So I felt like that was maybe before it's time, but Marvin Demoff was, was the agent for Rick Meyer at the time. And so guess what? I gave a fourth round pick to Chicago in order for him to sign the deal, even though that wasn't part of the deal, but it was, it was Rick putting on his, his Chicago bears hat to say, now what do we do to help our team? So those are the kind of things that I don't see happening. Maybe it's the communication that breaks down, but uh, it, it's a it's it's a tough spot to put quarterbacks in, or a tough spot to put GMs in in a, in acquiring quarterbacks because the the fans have never been stronger, the media has never been stronger and more fluent influential. So you've got to be in your own cocoon and be solid with what you decide to do. You know, Randy. Before we get out of here, tell the people how to find you on Twitter and your newsletter. And I want to say this, and I'm not just saying this because Randy is coming on this podcast. His website and his newsletter, guys, it is tremendous what you wrote about jamal adams i'm not going to tell the people they have to go to your website you can tell them how to get there what you wrote about jamal adams and the seahawks was fascinating and it'll be of real interest to saints fans about free agency and giving up picks and contracts and all so tell people how they can find your stuff because it is fantastic well, I appreciate you saying that. I don't have much to offer, Ralph, but I do have 35 years in the league. So I just try to write things and and point things out that, you know, from my perspective, uh, from the GM seat, that's all. So it's a little different angle than you would get on the street, a little different angle that you might get from some others. I just see things from that chair and, and I just try to relay that stuff to the fans. You know, I'm not a Twitter person by any means, but at Randy Mueller underscore is how you can follow me on Twitter. Sometimes you might... Uh, 
find something interesting there. But the MuellerFootball.com website is really there for the blog. And I write on the blog two or three times a week. And then we have created this newsletter, again, just based on uh, angles from the GM's chair. In fact, I'm posting one today. You, you talked about the, the Jamal Adams one. We're going through the, the Russell Wilson experience right now in Seattle. And so I've kind of pieced that together from 30,000 feet to give you my take on that as well. So I'll pick things around the league uh, to, to kind of write on and expand on. And, and it's not complicated, that's for sure, because I'm a small town guy from Idaho. So I try to make it simple and people have seemed to like it and they catch on to it. And, and I've had a good response. It's been fun. Well, God, well, Randy, thanks so much for joining us. We cannot thank you enough. This has been uh, tremendous, guys. This is why you support the show. It allows us to do great things like talk to Randy Mueller. This has been it. Andrew was better than I even dreamed it could be. Guys, thanks for joining us. Randy, thanks for joining us. And we will see you next time.